Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. This week, I'd like to welcome Neil Usher to our podcast. Neil, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thanks for the invitation. Delighted to be here. Um, Neil Usher, I'm the Chief uh, Workplace and Change Strategist at Ghostface AI, which is a, a, a unique uh, AI-driven dynamic reservation system. You'll be hearing and, uh, and seeing a lot more of it in the, in the coming months. I've been in what can be described as corporate real estate for around 30 years. Uh, in fact, I think it's almost exactly 30 years, um, mainly looking after um, large corporate uh, sort of occupier portfolios in, in various parts of the world. Excellent. So I understand um, just so you and I have interacted on LinkedIn a couple of times. We've never actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, but you seem to be very drawn to uh, technology in the workplace. What do you think the role of technology will be in the workplace in the, the coming months and the coming years? Well, my last qualification was a master's in IT, but that was in 1991. So I think I worked out that it probably took me about 27 years to get a job in tech. So um, it's probably not a surprise that I'm quite enthusiastic about it now. Um, I, I think what's what's been really interesting the last two years uh, in the, the pandemic period is that matching supply and demand, which is a, a task that most corporate real estate or particularly workplace teams have to have to master, um, it sort of it, it slipped out of the reach of human capability, um, and we're now very much in a, in a with the sort of the complications of time and variable attendance and hybrid working. We're very much in a period where uh, we we now need technology in order to help us to to match that supply and demand, not just to understand what's going on, but to to, to make sure that our our colleagues are able to access the space they need with the people they need to work with when they need it. Um, and then that can, t- can continue into the future and we can we can look at our space requirements based on all of the data and insight we gather from from that. So we're I think we're in a period now where uh, and are likely to stay in this period where the days of the, the, the sort of space planning team beavering away in the back room, creating allocation scenarios. It, we're just not going to keep pace anymore with that. And it needs to it needs to draw on dynamic um, technology enabled to to successfully occupy our workspace. So we know that a lot of companies right now are, are kind of stuck because obviously, you know, you can't rely on uh, old data, you know, with people being out of the office for the last two years and a bit, you know, where prior to the pandemic, a lot of companies were using existing data like security badging data, you know, other data sources that they might have had access to. Uh, and then we sort of have this dry period for two years where there really hasn't been too much activity in the office. Added to that, the fact that there's, you know, discussion around what is, you know, return to office potentially going to look like. How do you envision hybrid sort of playing itself out in the workplace? It is interesting that the sort of the, the data collection sort of methodologies we used to use in workplace strategies, so utilization studies, satisfaction surveys, 
used to interview quite a lot of people, put it all together in a, in a report and a, and a recommendation around strategy. But it is quite interesting now, I think, that those, those sort of one-time data collection activities really aren't suitable for the, for the hybrid world we're in. We need a much more sort of dynamic flow, uh, day-to-day, real-time flow of data in order to draw some insight and understanding from that. So we probably got a bit of a bit of a crisis on our hands, really, in terms of what sort of data and therefore what sort of evidence are we gathering in the field of workplace strategy going forward. And I think we still have to work that out. I still, you know, the, the difficulty for us is how much are we going to learn um, when people are only coming back to the workplace at variable times and certainly not at the scale we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone I was working with recently said, look, the, the only way to do this is to get everybody back for three months, five days a week, full time, because because when we were in the workplace all day, every day, or as close to that as possible, we weren't gathering that evidence because we didn't think we needed it because that was the normal way of things. We've actually been gathering a lot of evidence over the last couple of years of the sort of the power and the benefit, particularly related to productivity, of working from home or not working in an office. So it's all out of balance in that sense, in terms of our data and evidence. So as we move ahead, how do we how do we sort of reappraise what being in the office on a regular basis was really like? And I think it's very difficult for us because we're reliant on this memory. And we've had quite a seismic event that sat between our experience of a couple of years ago and today. So consequently, we've got to find a way of sort of building that data, building that evidence and that experience in order to be able to make a more informed judgment going forward. So it's quite possible that we might have to have targeted periods of being back into an office, even if that means we reject it, but just at least to be able to do it on a more objective basis and to be able to actually reappraise what was good, what wasn't good, what worked, what didn't. Because actually all of the sort of campaigners, if you like, for for more of a uh, sort of wholesale return to the office are still reliant on anecdotal evidence, emotional responses, creativity, innovation, but there isn't an evidence base to support that. So that's why we get into these difficult arguments. So perhaps we, we need a sort of a, we need a, a period of objective evidence and data gathering to, to actually sort of deal with all of this, this sort of disagreement in our sector and in industry generally to be able to move forward from here. That's really interesting because I, I've often thought about, you know, I too sort of came from workplace strategy background. I've been doing it for 25 or so years as well. Did all the number crunching and kind of, you know, helping companies transition to a flexible way of working from way back in the 90s. Um, and early 2000 was probably really when I felt that it started to pick up a little bit more momentum. But it's funny, you know, sort of observing what has transpired in the last two years, the way uh, employees are reacting to, you know, return to office mandates or sort of more of that structured return to office where it's a set number of days per week. I often wonder if the whole data collection sort of process and kind of the needs that we had before the pandemic that really sort of drove design and the need for space and all of that stuff is kind of a thing of the past. It often feels to me like it's too late, right? So it's kind of like the data that you're going to collect from here on in will be on a very small 
scale in terms of the number of people that are coming into the office. And you're not going to get sort of that critical mass like you would have prior to the pandemic to really sort of give you big picture from a design perspective. That's kind of how, how it feels to me. Do you see that as well? Or do you think that that it will be just a matter of time before we get back to some level of normalcy where there will be a requirement for an investment in technology in order for for companies to understand how people work because that feels very very 2020 very 2020 to me or 2019 i mean i think it's varying wildly across the globe as well we we think that sort of everybody's hybrid working and, the, and everything has changed. But if we look at certain industries, certain sectors, certain parts of the world, um, there has been, you know, very much a return to the way of working that preceded COVID. Um, you know, we, we've got to be careful, I think, sometimes just to look through sort of the, the lens of our own industries or our own locations or, or sort of, uh, you know, broad geographical regions. There is a, there is a huge global disparity. Um, in, in the way that we're approaching the office and the way we're approaching being in an office. It could well be that the, the useful um, thing to do would to be, uh, would actually be to go and learn from some of these locations where a different route is being, is being taken. Actually cast down that a little bit wider than just sort of as far as we can see really and to just make sure that we're taking much more of a global perspective in all of this because I think that the sources of evidence and the sources of data are out there. But I do, sort of echoing what I said slightly earlier, I, I do think with with only a partial return to the office, I'm, I'm not sure we're actually learning much until, until as you suggest, you know, that, that critical mass starts to build. Um, and people see the benefit of being in that space and will return without instruction. Because we have to remember as well that, that hybrid is a very broad sort of umbrella for, for a number of different strategies. And... It ranges from everything from sort of complete freedom of choice to, to come and go as you please in an office environment right through to the sort of the worst aspects of it, really, which is a sort of an enforced rotor. You know, you're going to come in on Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. Um, you know, that could still be regarded as hybrid because you are still effectively working in two places. Um, and, and, and I think understanding that whole range of hybrid as well is is incredibly important. So. A need for a whole reappraisal, really, of the sort of data we're gathering, how we're gathering it, and, and then the sort of conclusions that we're drawing from it in, in formulating some kind of strategy. Interesting. Um, what do you think about, um, you know, the use of what I sort of recently started to call microdata? So one of the things, for example, that we see in our environment in using, you know, sensors, for example, is you don't really need the critical mass per se to start to see new trends emerge and you can start to see behaviors from a relatively small number of people. So, you know, of the people that are coming back to the office, you can quickly start to see what spaces are they gravitating towards. And obviously that's going to be impacted by policies. So for example, you know, if you're, you're only allowed to be in a meeting room at, you know, 50% capacity or certain spaces might be off limits or whatever the case might be, then obviously traffic is going to be directed based on those policies. But do you think that there's value in terms of using things like sensors and that kind of technology to help companies at least start to trend the data in the return to office process or in that return to office stage? Um, I think the use of technology broadly is going to be important in that sense, whether it's specifically sensors or other, other means of collecting data. There are sort of very, you mentioned sort of gate data. 
Um, something that I think our sector has ignored for quite a long time, really. There's, there's, a, there's a ready source of data without any investment, really, from the access control turnstiles that just let everybody installs in a building, um, or knowing, knowing how many people are in, in that space, which actually became quite important during COVID, how many people are actually in this building, because it was very important where people were setting limits to that, and they needed to understand that uh, a limit was approaching or, or had been exceeded. Um, I think just technology broadly, I, as I said earlier, I think, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting beyond the ability of human beings to, to calibrate what's needed in respect of, you know, the, the dynamism we're seeing now in the way that space is being occupied. That includes the observation. That includes its actual day to day use as well. Because this environment, this working environment now is, is in general terms far more dynamic than it used to be. Um, and that's something that I don't think anybody sees um, declining in any way. In fact, I think we see, we're, we're starting to really believe that that dynamism is only going to increase. And, and that's really all to do with the factor of time. Time is the thing that really complicates this. Very easy for us to plan the right people to the right space. That's what space planning used to be about, was, you know, was filling seats and making sure that, that, that you know, even if it was neighbourhoods and agile workplaces and fairly use, loose association of people to space, um, now that we've introduced the variability of time in the whole equation, it becomes beyond the means of human beings to calculate that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's actually interesting because I've been thinking about the role of space planning and design uh, in sort of the traditional sense of what exactly, you know, those functions did and thinking about how it seems that there's been a transition or there's a, there's a transition right now that's happening that's kind of leaning more towards experience. So the workplace experience, the user experience, but it still very much feels that the experience is still limited to the white box, right? It's still about the office. What are your thoughts with respect to uh, how the workplace might evolve because of the dynamics, because of the flexibility and sort of all of these, the, the different ways in which people will work and how that will extend beyond the traditional office? Um, I think we have to be careful sometimes in this whole debate between just thinking and assuming that people being together will naturally be in the office. So first and foremost, what we're looking to, to, to really understand is the value that people derive from being physically together in the same space. Um, then the challenge for those of us sort of in the, in, the, in the business of creating providing offices is to make sure that that becomes the place of choice. That becomes the place with the right amenities, the right services, the right and, and is in the right location and, and gives us the ability to be together and to achieve what we need to. So first and foremost, the argument is about the value of people being together. That's where we don't we don't have much more than an emotive response to that. And our data and our evidence is is rather sort of one based on just this sort of innate feeling of social beings that we ought to spend some um, and some is a big, you know, big question mark over how much of that is, is constitutes some, but some of our time physically in the same space together. Whether that's people from our own team, people from other teams, people in the same organisation, or people outside of the organisation. Um, then the office really has to stack up against all of the other options we have in the urban environment. You know, is it, is it, is it easier or better or, or, or more you know, enjoyable to meet in a cafe, to meet in a pub or to, you know, to meet in a hotel lobby or something? Um, or is the office actually, you know, outstripping 
um, all of those other options because of the features and immunities and the services it offers. Um, actually, I think going forward, it's meshing what the office can provide with what that whole urban infrastructure can provide too. So trend of the last you know, 20 years really leading up to the pandemic was to continually add more amenities, more services. You know, our, our instinctive response to creating a better workplace experience was just continually to add more stuff. Yes. Um, you know, it's always been an accumulation. It's actually much harder to take features away from anything we create than it is to, to add new ones. So we just keep adding new ones. But you could argue that with utilisation levels only just nudging above 50% before the pandemic, really for the decade before the pandemic, that actually there was no marginal gain from continually adding more stuff. And actually it was counterproductive. It was posing an environmental risk. It was actually creating a drain on the organisation's resources. And to a degree, for people occupying the space, it was just confusing people because there's more and more features and more and more facilities kept, uh, sort of amenities and, and, and features kept arriving. You know, how do we make sense of all of this? With most of what we have available to us, if you think about sort of work tools, whether it's just your standard office suite of software on your computer, you know, we use a tiny fraction of its capability. So consequently, you know, I, I think one of the sort of really interesting things from here is looking at some of our workplaces and working out, you know, what percentage of this, this whole facility do people actually use? And has the sort of whole process of thinking that a better employee experience means adding more and more all along actually, has, has it actually delivered no marginal gain and has it actually forced people away from the office? Because actually, one of the things we could argue is that for sort of 10 years plus before the pandemic, it wasn't really working. Yet we're still now talking about adding more, make the experience even better, more services, more amenities, more work settings. Is that actually the right thing to do at all? And I think it's time to actually just pause and say, well, actually, maybe, just maybe what we need to do is integrate the workplace far more with the urban community, where a lot of these services and a lot of these amenities are already provided and probably start stripping the workplace down, actually making sure that what's provided in a workplace is very targeted, is very specific, and what we do, we do extremely well. But actually, we start to narrow the range um, of what our workplace offers rather than just in continually increasing it and continually adding more features. A lot of truth to what you're saying, and I completely agree. The, the point that you made about, you know, the value of being together, you know, it's it sort of... I mean, you hear the dialogue every day, like you said, about, you know, uh, how do you incentivize people to come back to the office? And it's going to be about having great amenities and services and, you know, anything that you can sort of add to the experience to try to get people to come back. But really, it sort of begs the question, you know, who ultimately is it that decides on the value of being together? And I think that ultimately comes down to the individual. It's kind of like, you know, if I'm going to wake up today and make a decision around whether I'm going to go into the office today, it has to have a value that's meaningful to me. There's a lot of discussion around, uh, you know, the fact of, of the, the value also having to be meaningful to the team, because obviously we're not all operating in a bubble, and so there has to be the team benefit as well. But I've actually recently had a conversation with someone around, you know, the fact that businesses tend to, or at least it feels like businesses want to still have a significant amount of control over how people 
work. So how people come together, how people collaborate, you know, uh, all of that stuff where, you know, I've been I've been working from from home for large organizations for a number of years, working with national companies here in Canada, where the team is scattered throughout throughout the country, or even when I was working at CBRE with the team scattered across the world. And there is no sort of overarching, you know, hand reaching in saying, okay, this is how you're going to collaborate and you're going to come to the office and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And if I step back and look at how the team actually functioned, it actually worked really well. Like people just figured it out. And it's mind boggling to me that, you know, companies like HR, you know, uh, facilities, whoever are trying to basically put structure around something that I think doesn't really need structure when we look at what the future of work and flexibility and kind of what all of that entails. It doesn't need structure. It needs it needs the flexibility for people to make the decision on their own. And so it's almost like you're using sort of that old, you know, a way of thinking about the workplace and trying to now bring that into this virtual world or this this flexible world that it doesn't really it doesn't really work and it feels like there's a bit of a a fear of of letting go that you know something horrible is going to happen if people suddenly start making decisions on their own are you seeing the same thing or are you are you sensing the same thing or what are your what are your thoughts in that regard i do i do think it's down to personal decision but i think the the issue we're facing is that what potentially might be, you know, my preference, my personal preference, because I've had two years to sit and think about how I work, you know, because I've been in my own home space. It's not a surprise that we've become quite, you know, sort of personally focused really in this time because we've really been thinking about ourselves. And I, I don't think we've ever really had a difficulty with working with our own team. You know, most, most teams have been, you know, very, very sort of, you know, responsibly self-organized and have known when to get together and have known how to do that really in the last uh, couple of years. I think once we start to get outside of the area of our own team, that's where we start to get into interesting territory because how do, how, what's the cumulative effect of all of our personal decisions on when, where and how to work on the way that the rest of the organization hangs together and also how we relate to those people outside the organization as well. What I find really interesting in working with a number of clients is that, you know, very strong focus on the team and when they've been allowed to be together physically in the same space, they've taken those opportunities. But what hasn't been happening is that sort of inter-team interaction where teams work with other teams, not just individuals working with their own team. Um, and this isn't about people making new connections necessarily because in a, in, a, in a way, People have used social technologies and technology to, to sort of introduce new connections, and some of that has still been going on. But actually, the, almost the missing piece is the layer between those two, which is where teams need to be, need to be whether it's sort of digitally or physically, need to be co-located, need to be working closely together, because that takes us almost beyond the, the individual preference. That's the sort of thing that when we used to look at the way that teams were organised in an office space, we used to think about adjacencies. We used to think about the benefit of people being in close physical proximity. We're all aware of what the Allen curve told us and the two, the two times that that research was done. You know, very instructive in terms of physical distance being, being something of a barrier if it was too far away. But what we're actually then finding with sort of random occupation of space and people just going into a space, a physical office, when, when they've decided to do that, 
is that a lot of that inter-team working and those inter-team relationships is not happening. So actually, you know, how do we resolve that? Do we resolve it through through a lot more messaging and self-organizing and people actually making taking those initiatives? Because there's a there's one of the things that I think is, has been fascinating in this sort of this period really is the, the the extra amount of administration we've all been subject to to make sure that these sorts of interactions happen. Or can we use the technology to, to make sure that these inter-team relationships have an opportunity to thrive and have an opportunity to take place? Because, you know, that's how organisations really work. It's not just individuals in their own teams. We've become very insular. It's how those teams interact together and how the individuals from those teams come together. These are relationships that already exist. These are relationships that need developing and nurturing rather than new relationships. So I think we've got several strata to think about, and it's it's not just all about us. It's about everyone else in our organisation and how we in, interact with those people. Um, you know, when we were brought into an organisation, um, it was on the basis of the fact that we were somehow a sort of missing piece of a jigsaw. Um, and I think we have to sort of somehow just, just get to re-understand what that jigsaw is all about from here. Yeah, I, I think that there's... Just kind of thinking about what you were saying about the adjacencies and again going through that process and trying to understand like who works with her, who pre pandemic and thinking about space planning and how you were trying to figure out, you know, the teams, especially if you had like business units and departments, you have companies that, that are moving away from that, that they're looking at it more from a neighborhood perspective or like drop in centers where you don't have boundaries per se of like teaming area so there's companies that are sort of experimenting with that um i think what's interesting about it is is i don't think that there's i've had a couple of conversations with a few people in the past around you know the whole like what would make you want to go back to the office and the responses that i've received is it's not so much a random decision like just you just randomly decide today i'm going to go to the office it is much more orchestrated so there still is structure from the standpoint of I need to coordinate who I'm going to meet with or who's knowing who's at the office because that might be a value to me to be there. I think the piece that's been kind of a um, that has been an eye opener has been the ability to make connections with people. So rather than, as you're saying before, throwing stuff in the office is, you know, how do you make it known to people who is actually in the office? Like, I mean, obviously you have, you know, a visibility obviously still being, you know, something that's important to some people. Um, but there's also the fact about learning and mentoring and, you know, all of these different things that go beyond your typical team, right? So you work with your team every day, but then you might have an interest in working in a different department or working on a different team, or maybe there's a project that's going on in the organization that is something that's of, you know, of great interest to you, or, you know, uh, you know, just basically wanting to learn from different people in the organization. How do you bring that kind of information forward so that you have visibility to that? Because I think that even in an in-person sort of workplace environment, that's always been somewhat hidden. Like people didn't really share that information. You basically were in your own little siloed team. People talked about the whole like, you know, working together, but it always came back to you kind of worked within your own nucleus of your of your team. And it was rare for you to sort of really stretch out into other areas of the organization. I feel that with this way of working, there's a greater need for 
uh, or there, there'd be not necessarily a greater need, but there would be higher value for organizations to share that kind of information more openly. So projects that the organization is working on, who's leading these projects, you know, different things that are happening in the organization where you might get sort of natural gravitation from people towards certain things just because of their interests. And I think that's really where innovation and creativity and sort of greater engagement will happen because people might be doing a job that they, it's just their job, but there might be other interests and learning experiences and opportunities that they might want to engage with in the organization. But it's like, how do you do that? I mean, in the virtual world, you tend to be sort of stuck in your you know, working on your projects, doing your, your, you know, your, your initiatives or whatever it is that you're working on, it's very hard to then tap into other projects and things that might be happening unless you're aware of them, right? So it's that need for increasing awareness and how do you do that when you've got some people in the office and some people that are not working in the office? Well, in fact, that's where really, really effective and effectively used enterprise social networks come, come to the fore because they're, they're not just a chat forum. I think most, you know, most of the time we think of a, an enterprise social network as just being a, you know, a, a sort of messaging service, but actually the information stored within them and you know, around people's careers, interests, experience, those sorts of other activities that are ongoing within an organisation can, can be vitally used. And I, I would like to think in the last couple of years, particularly with people being more distributed, that, that they were more prevalent in, in, in organisations than they perhaps had been before. But all of those tools need to be invested in by each one of the employees of an organization and they need to buy into that and they need to understand that uh, what they're likely to get out of it um, if for in order, order for it to be successful. Otherwise, you find quite an imbalance for some people are using it sort of actively and are sharing that, that information and other people just aren't engaging with it at all. So right. it's something that people do have to commit to, I think, you know, across, the, across the breadth of an organization to get the most out of it. But back to one of the, the points you're making about sort of, you know, the, the attendance in the office. Um, I think something that still I'm seeing is that we still have this idea that when we exercise that choice to go to the office, that somehow when the doors open, what we're going to see is what we saw before the pandemic. That somehow everyone's going to have showed up for our benefit. You know, everyone's going to be there that we want to see and talk to. And uh, there's going to be this huge sort of vibrant, lively space that is going to make our commute and the time and money we've invested in being there all worthwhile but that sort of horror and shock of going in through the doors to find that sort of less than a fifth of the people in the organization are are there and there's huge tracts of empty space and you know there's so little background noise that you can hear every single conversation that's going on it's the only noise in in the whole space and you think well i've made the effort today to come into this space and there's no one here so why should i bother coming in tomorrow so the, the idea of critical mass, I think, is quite interesting because in, in physics terms, it means, you know, we keep adding enough fissile material until we have a sustained chain reaction, which basically means we don't have to intervene anymore. Pre-pandemic, organisations were intervening, whether they like it or not. They were intervening because they were creating offices and expecting everyone for the majority of their time to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, although utilisation levels were only sort of, you know, in general, on average terms, nudged above 50%, there was far greater sort of dynamism of coming and going, really, that ebb and flow. There was every chance, if you were in for most of the week, that you would see most people in an organisation, even if fleetingly, you would still potentially interact with them, and there was energy and life in that space. What we're actually seeing now is that 
you know, all these incentives and all of these interventions that organisations are engaged in to try and get enough people back. What I'm fascinated about is in each organisation, what is the point at which they might reach critical mass? As in, they don't have to intervene anymore, and there is enough presence and enough traction and enough going on in an office to make people, when they're exercising their own personal choices, decide to go into the office. That's a challenge I don't think our industry has ever really faced before. We might have done it in isolated organisations and locations, and you know, as with all of these sorts of generalisations, there are always going to be some exceptions. But this idea of critical mass, I think, is actually a really interesting one for our, for our industry to, to play with a little. It would conclude that there was enough going on in the office that we consciously, when we're making our decisions, were, were, were happy to, to, to exercise that choice to go in because there was enough going on to make it worthwhile and to justify it. No compulsion, no one was telling us to go in, mm-hmm. no one was actually setting out the benefits. There wasn't a list of all the reasons I should be going into the office today. We just kind of instinctively know that it's something that's good for us, whether it's a whole day, part of a day, whether we use a desk or a meeting room or a collaborative space, it doesn't matter. It's about the actual being there, and it's about the value we're determining personally from being physically in the same space as other people. The question really for our industry is, will we ever reach that critical mass? Will it require intervention on the part of organisations where they, where they continually add the fissile material, as in the human beings, and they continually instruct people to be there? Or do we think that we can actually create workplaces from here, learn our lessons, understand what's happened and actually create enough critical mass in our workplaces because I think if we can do that, then that's a very different situation from from the sort of the decades that led up to to the pandemic. I think the other thing too is on the point of critical mass is, is the critical mass relative to the place or is it critical mass in terms of how we work, like just the behavior of, okay, we feel comfortable with whatever this new definition of work is going to be, and therefore it's it's hands-off because we've seen, I mean, we've heard reports in the last two years of, you know, how companies' productivity levels have gone up. People feel way more productive in terms of, you know, being able to work from home if they've had some flexibility. We've heard the opposite side of that where, you know, people who don't have the space at home, you know, still rely on some kind of office space in order to remain productive. So obviously if there's that flexibility there for people to decide what environment they need to be productive, then that obviously we should we should continue to support that. But it just begs the question again is that it just feels that, probably also because we're in corporate real estate, is the whole critical mass discussion, the whole like returning to the office is very place-centric versus taking a step back and just thinking about the whole concept of work, especially when you have other options that before the pandemic were not a consideration. So thinking about workplaces and workplace design and you know companies that sort of established their brand in their physical place – that was kind of the coolness fact. If you worked for a company that was a, a great brand, you walked into a space and you're like, wow, this is really, I'm, there's a sense of pride of belonging to an organization when you walk in the door. Smaller organizations that don't have that have other things that are going for them where you walk into the office and it's nothing, like it's not a showstopper, but there's something there that obviously has made you want to work for for that company. If we think about, you know, this transition right now where, 
you know, that might not be as critical going forward where, you know, obviously with the great resignation and all this sort of stuff that's happening with respect to people changing jobs and reflecting upon their lifestyle and what they want for themselves and kind of, you know, what work means to them. It kind of begs the question again, it's around, you know, what is that, that sort of attraction to work? It's, is it going back to the way it was? Uh, is it something new and different and having more control over it as an individual to say, this is what works for me. And then trying to find an organization that fits the way you want to work. Is it a blend of those two things? Like that's the thing that I think is really fascinating about this time is everyone is so different in terms of their, their needs. And while there is definitely a requirement for people to work together, because obviously that's what being a company is all about. um, The dynamics of how people work together I think is interesting because I personally think that a lot of that was taken for granted. Like it was just, there was a workplace, you got a job. The expectation was you went to the workplace to work and nobody really cared. It was, that's just the way it was done. And suddenly you've got this, the pandemic thrown at you and you, the workplace is gone and it's sink or swim. You need to figure out how to, how to make it work. And so it's interesting to see like, how is the physical place going to fit into the future of work because of all the things that we've talked about? So how do you incentivize people? You know, what is the value of people coming back? What is the purpose of the place versus just the purpose of people coming together, regardless of where that actually happens? I think we can sort of unpack that a little in relate. You were talking about productivity. I mean, I think we've pretty much cracked productivity in the last couple of years. I think we've learned a lot about it. We've learned a lot about it at a subjective level because mm-hmm. you said, you know, feel productive. That's whether I think I'm being productive. I had a list of things to do at the start of the day and I've ticked every one of them off. I've done it and a few more things as well. And I'm ready for tomorrow because realistically we spend half our time doing stuff and another half of our time changing stuff because everything that we do today that enables us to be productive was sort of yesterday's innovation. Someone came up with a process or a technology or a tool or a way of working or brought the right people together. That was all done to enable us to be productive today. Um, Organisations have actually miraculously learned to start measuring their own productivity in the last couple of years because we've got much better measures of productivity at an objective level. Not just we feel productive, but actually the organisation is producing more or, or doing more of what it does. So, Then we start to think about sort of the use of the physical space and a lot of the reason that we've become or feel more productive is that we're not commuting, we haven't got all those interruptions, the usual sorts of things that have been explored ad infinitum really in the last couple of years. But a couple of things sort of happened recently that were sort of useful thoughts, I think, that sort of uh, helped with this. One was um, a client of mine who said, uh, you know, I just can't fit a day's work into a day in the office anymore. (laughs) Um, Which was a great statement, but actually... You know, the, the response I had to him was, well, could, could you ever do that, really? Um, you know, perhaps really what we were saying was you know, that, that, that we could never quite be productive enough. And a lot of our frustration from being in the office all day, every day, was that, you know, we had things to do. And because of the people we bumped into or the other requests that were made or, you know, things that got in the way, somehow we ended up doing half of those things we set out to do. And we came home with another half as many again to do tomorrow. So we were constantly feeling like we were we were catching up and we were never in a position to get on top of it. Hence, people working at home on a Friday, which became quite a thing because they could finally take a breath and catch up. And they can be super productive on a Friday, get a ring of all the stuff that they didn't get done during the week. 
So that pattern was pretty well established really pre-COVID. We, we spent four days getting, getting ourselves behind and then we spent a day catching up. Um, and, you know, so we actually had the clues to how this was going to pan out <laughs> during the pandemic, well before the pandemic. You know, it wasn't like a big surprise. Hey, we can be more productive at home. The fact that we've got technologies like Teams and Zoom and things that have helped us in that respect, well, we kind of already knew that. So now when we think about physical space as opposed to kind of just working in our own our personal space or digital space, um, you know, the, the other sort of comment I'd make is that, and I, I'm not sure whether, so where it came from, but this idea that, you know, instead of putting on our out of office when we're not going to be in the office, we actually put on our in office. Because when we're in the office, we're not going to be as productive. Don't expect I'm going to respond to the emails because I'm actually busy being with other people and working with other people. We've actually flipped that completely. What we're actually saying is now, don't expect a response if I'm here with other people because we're doing the sort of stuff that I can't do when I'm at home. Actually, our in-office days are not likely to be productive in the sense of ticking things off a list, doing jobs, doing things that need to be done. They're going to be important discussions and they're going to be unimportant discussions, but they might sow the seeds of something in the future. We just don't know that at the time. It's this investment, not just in the present, but in the future, because potentially this is where some of these innovations will come from. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to innovate when we're not in the office, because I think that's true as well. But we're just saying that there is going to be a lower level of productivity when we're in that physical space, but we're going to be getting something else out of it that we don't get when we're busy being productive working out of the office. So the balance is absolutely vital. But as I say, we kind of had the clues to that balance well before COVID, and there were a number of organisations who were sort of far more mature in that sense and far more used to that balance, and they didn't let people save it all up on Friday. <laughs> but I'm, I'm convinced that's why Friday working at home became such a thing, was that because we weren't as efficient as we wanted to be during the week and we needed some time to, to, to sort of regather ourselves effectively. All we're saying now is that we're just moving that dial a little bit and we're giving ourselves a bit more time so that we're not saving it all up Friday. Because if then something happened on Friday, we start the following week in a sort of at a real disadvantage if we're not careful. And we don't want to spend all weekend catching up either because we're supposed to be, you know, getting some getting some sleep and having some fun. So, you know, real, realistically, that sort of you know, what we're back to again is balance in all of these things. It's balancing FaceTime with, with time alone. It's balancing being physically present with people with, uh, with spending, you know, time away from people. Just as important. All of those things are just as important. But back to what we were saying earlier is if we just leave it up to our own personal preference and we're not thinking about those concentric circles of relationships and, and other people within our organization and outside and we're just purely relying on our own personal choices, and are some of those relationships going to going to be developed? Are some of those new relationships going to be discovered? Or over time, will all of that erode? And we'll still be exercising that personal preference, but in a much smaller sphere than potentially we were before. Um, I've maintained for a long time that workplace in just about every respect is about balance. I don't see that as being you know, any different now in a sense of balancing all of those aspects of our working lives is, is absolutely vital. Neil, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate the discussion. Learned a lot. Thank you again for, for your time. Thank, thank you for the invitation. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed the discussion. Hope we can carry on. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.